O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye, my eye grows dim with sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we're going to be studying a psalm that deals with how to deal with dark times. And it's not, um, I, I, sometimes, you know, it would not be the thing where you'd be like, okay, I want to do this as my morning devotional, like every week, you know. Some of you would because you like to kind of go around and like feel this weight on you all the time. But this does feel, it's very weighty and it's one of those things where you say, okay, it's how to deal with darkness, you know, and how to deal with those dark times in your life. That's what it's going to be about this morning. And so we're going to address that. And that's one of the beauties of studying through the Bible, uh, like book by book or chapter by chapter or verse by verse, is you address things that you wouldn't think about. But here's the thing, you're going to have to think about. Like, that's, that's the reality. You're going to have to deal with dark times. And so this is a way of, like, preparing you for that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the Bible is not... Um, in, in, in you, like speaking to us, you're, you're not uh, saying to us things like it's all going to be easy, uh, life is in this fallen world is going to be great. Um, there's a clear understanding of some of the things that we face are very frightening and scary and uh, horrific, and so we just pray that uh, we would grow in wisdom as we study this psalm together, that you would open our eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to your church. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we're dealing with how to deal with darkness today. So we will be talking about dark things. And that's uh, the nature of what, what's here, and we want to see that. So I wanted to read something to you that I was, I was listening to something that reminded me 
of this uh, story, story, someone's personal story um, that you may have heard uh, before. And so I'll, I'll tell you about the person, and you, you may, like I said, have read this. Anna kind of encouraged me to read it uh, years ago, and um, it was a difficult read, but an important one. And so um, I'm going to start with this. It says, uh, the, the text was kind of speaking in this way, in a town uh, called Seget, Transylvania, in 1941, there was a 12-year-old Jewish boy named Eli Wiesel. He survived World War II in a concentration camp. He became a famous writer. He wrote a book called Night. And maybe you've read it, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, it is really helpful to understand the horrific nature of what was going on at that time. And Eli recalled when the Nazis came first to... Uh, where he lived in Transylvania, they first drove out every Jew that was not born there. And then the other Jews were just left there. Then in the spring of 1944, the Jews were plundered. So those that were still living there were plundered. They seized what Jews owned, made them wear a yellow star, moved them out of their homes, and placed them in ghettos. Then one night... They deported the Jews, loading them up in cattle cars, and sent them to concentration camps. He wrote of the moment that he was forced to leave, saying this, I looked at our house, where I had spent so many years in search of God, in, fasten, in fasting to hasten the day of the coming of the Messiah, in imagining what my life would be like. And so you kind of think in terms of like he's a young Jewish boy, they have not, you know, embrace Jesus as Messiah, so he's looking forward to Messiah to come. So at one point during this taking place, as he looks at his house and he's sitting there with his family, um, his father prayed a traditional Jewish prayer, may his name be blessed and magnified. And Ellie recounts his reaction. He said, for the first time, I felt revolt. Why should I bless his name? The eternal Lord of the universe was silent. What did I have to thank him for? And then when they arrived at Auschwitz, his mother and younger sister were put into the furnace. He wrote, Never shall I forget that night, the first night in camp, that turned my life into one long night seven times sealed. Never shall I forget the, that smoke. Never shall I forget the small faces of the children whose bodies were transformed into smoke under the silent sky. Never shall I forget those flames and that consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget the nocturnal silence that deprived me for all eternity of the desire to live. Never shall I forget those moments that murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams into ashes. Never shall I forget those things, even if I were condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. So there's no doubt that his experience, and if you're younger here and you're saying, wow, I never even knew that, you'll study some of those things in history. You understand some of you may be close to 12 years old. You can imagine what that would be like. It's a scary and a frightening thing. And the reality is, is that was not very far from us. It's not that far in history. We're kind of disconnected from it because we don't know what that would be like, but you can understand what it was like. And so I think it's important just to say, like, there are people that have experienced really dark things. His book, Night, makes sense to call it that. 
But when you look at that and you think about that, you may look at your own life and see things that you would consider dark. Not this dark, but dark. And you may encounter very dark things in the future, and I think we have to understand that. And so what we see, though, in this man, this young 12-year-old boy, is like what he's left with is like all hope is lost. We're going to see somebody today in Psalm 88 where it feels like all hope is lost, but what we want to say and understand is he is clinging to God in the midst of like everything being on fire in a sense in his life where he thinks like I'm close to death and everybody else believes that I'm going to die and they've all left too. He is holding fast to God. You do not want to walk the road of Ellie. You want to walk the road of the psalmist. And so the wonderful thing is this psalm is um, a psalm that helps you. It's, it's called a, a masculine. It's a Hebrew word that means like for causing wisdom. So this psalm is to help you say like, you know what? You may think like um, I've had some dark times and you may not even know how dark that they may be in your life. But this is speaking to you and saying like this is what you do when everything around you is extremely difficult. And so you want to hold fast to the Lord. Um, I think the other thing just to say as you're thinking about this is you want to look at verse 1 and you see he is turning to the Lord. He is growing closer and closer to the Lord. And that's, that's kind of, and, and again, even though he feels like he's been left, he's uh, like um, Spurgeon would say, when you can't see God's hand, Maybe the darkness is so great, you can trust his heart. He's reaching out into the darkness after God, and I think that's helpful. Tim Keller writes about this guy. <clears throat> he says, the psalm title tells us that he was a leader of a guild of musicians who wrote many of the psalms in the 40s and the 80s kind of range of the psalms. And this is some of the greatest literature in world history. His experiences of darkness turned him into an artist who has helped millions of people. And so that's kind of an interesting thing, too, when you look back and think, somebody penned something 2,500 years ago, and we're here listening to that and being able to think about those things. And so I think it's important to see it and understand it. Now, he is going to be different. It's like a lot of the Psalms will be like, I went through a dark time, and God delivered me. And everybody's like, yes, I love those stories. This Psalm is like, I've been through, I'm in a dark time, and my best friend now is darkness. The end. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, right? And, and so I think it's important to understand that and grasp that because it's not like a Psalm 23 where he's saying, goodness and mercy pursued me all the days of my life. It's not that. It's like my greatest companion, again, is darkness. And um, I think that's important to recount because if you have, and I think it's important for you and I to both understand, that if your Christianity is... I'm a good person, and God's going to do me good. If it's like transactional, I do good, he gives good. If I have that kind of Christianity, that model, that teaching, that whole uh, Christian background where it's like, do good, and you're going to get good too, this psalm will be like, hey, uh, wake up. Like God doesn't say that. God speaks to us, and he explains to us the things um, that he is doing and the way in which things are. And sometimes in the fallen world, they are very difficult for us and so this guy's uh his like if you're again if your meaning in life is uh i'm going to have as much fun as i can and god wants me to have fun as long as i'm really good then god's going to make it where i can have fun 
you're going to get that stripped away here, and what he's going to help you wrestle with is true meaning in life is to grip God, like reach out to him, find purpose in him, and hold on to him whether or not this world, like is if you're, whether you're under great difficulty, and he's going to define some of that too. And so I think it's important to see that because I don't want you to have a worldview that um, doesn't say to you, uh, in this world you will have trouble. I don't want you to have that. I don't want you to have a view of your marriage like that. I don't want you to think uh, child rearing is like that. I don't think you want you to think about your work that way. I don't want you to think about, oh, all my dreams are going to be fulfilled because I've been a good little boys and girls always get all their dreams fulfilled in this present life. I don't want you to have that kind of world because that Psalm 88 says when the weight of Psalm 88 goes down on somebody that has that kind of worldview, uh, Psalm 88 will crush that worldview. If that's the bridge you're standing on, you're going in the river. That's kind of the way to think about that. So I think it's important for us to understand it. Now, Job is an example of someone that is under great difficulty. And he even says in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. In, in Job 19, 25, when he's under the greatest difficulties, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And so I think you and I just have to, we say, Oh, let me hold fast to that. Let me be prepared for whatever the Lord has for us. And so as we're dealing with how to deal with like dark times, the first part of this, as we're looking at verses 1 to 6, is you're going to see his near-death experience in his all-day cries. That's kind of the way that you'll see it. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to me. And so he's holding fast to God. He really believes that God is sovereign over the circumstances of his life. And so he is coming to this sovereign God who reigns over everything, and he is saying, like, um, Lord, please help me. He is crying out for help. It's an act of faith in the face of all kinds of difficulty. He really believes that God cares and God can fix things, that God is good and he's strong enough to fix the things that are going on in his life. That's something that's really helpful. You can say, we, we can say that. You, you may not understand why he's not fixing those things in your life, but he is holding fast to the fact that God cares and that he is able to fix it. Verse 3 and 4, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. What is Sheol? It's the place of the dead. So what he's saying is, like, I'm on the edge of death. I always joke about having one foot in Sheol. That's just something I always, like, mess around. Like, man, I got one foot in Sheol. Like, this guy does. It's not just me being dumb, like, about some circumstance or whatever. He, he's saying, like, I'm drawing near to Sheol like he can see death right before him. That's the, that's the concept here. Verse 4, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. And so he, he's saying, like, um, it's almost like a, I, I've... Um, it's almost like if somebody were counting the dead, he would be listed among them. That's how close he is to death here with no strength left. He's saying here that my soul is full of troubles. It's kind of like um, he's been, uh, I don't know, you might say something like, you know when you like eat a meal and you say like, oh, I'm satisfied? Like I've had, I probably ate more than I should have eaten. It's just like, what he says is, my troubles are so great. I, in a way, I, even though he's like struggling, he's saying I'm satisfied in the sense of like, I've had all the trouble that I could take. I've had all that I can bear. I can't eat any more of trouble. Trouble is like coming out, out of me. 
I mean, I can't take any more of that. And so he has no strength, no help, no power to overcome, and he's holding fast to God. Then it gets worse. Verse 5. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Verse 3 is like death is at the door. Verse 4 is other people are like looking at him as among the dead. And so I think verse 5 then is like he's saying, like, I really am there. I'm at that place. And I think it's important just to kind of see that and understand that. Like the slain that lie in the grave. That's, that's how he is seeing himself. That's how dark it is in this moment. In verse 6, he be, he's beginning to transition from a focus on himself to a focus on the Lord. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. Now here's the thing. God's put him there. That's again, if you have a theology where like um, God's will's ra- rarely ever done, and uh, I don't know why things happen the way that they do. If that's your theology where it's like, God is not really in charge of my suffering, my troubles, my darkness. If that's the theological framework that you have, uh, Psalm 88 will, 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 will you'll crumble on it. You're under it. Your faith will crumble under it. Because your faith, if it's built on that God always makes it good for us, if we're good little people, He's going to deal with the fact that He has sin in His life. But the reality is, is none of us sit, we could sit here and say, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm without sin. Only a foolish person would say that. And so we understand like that if we have mercies shown to us where it makes life easier, uh, it surely is mercy. Um, and so, and God's using this again in his own way, but he is understanding like God is at work in all of this. But he hold, he's going to hold fast because he is, this is a weird thing, but you might say something like, he is trusting God here because he believes God is the one in charge of this. There's a belief and a trust in God. So you kind of think like we're in the midst of like you need to persist in faith. All throughout your life you want to hold on because there's going to be troublesome times. And sometimes they're going to be of your own making. And perhaps that's what this is. A guy could be thinking of like, look, because I was born in sin, like that's why it's here. Or he might be saying very directly, like, because of my sin. But, but a lot of us, have you ever had something come up where you're like, somebody's about to come after you in some way, and you're like, thinking of all the reasons why they should or could? Even if you thought, like, I don't, I, you might not think, I don't know, but then you think, like, oh, there's ten different reasons in my head why this is going to end bad. You know, because they, they could come up with reasons why I have done them wrong or did something or said something or whatever. And so I think you have to understand that and grasp that because what he's about to deal with is uh, he's going to think about that. he's, He's gripping this thing and understanding where God is and what he is doing. So look what happens here. We're trying to deal with how to deal with dark times. He is near death and crying out for help. And now he says his suffering is stemming from God's wrath. So he's saying like, I'm under the heavy hand of God. God's wrath is upon me. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. He is saying, I am a sinner and you are just. I am suffering because of my sin. He rightly knows that God is a just judge. That he's over all these things. He knows that. He understands that. He grasps that. He, he sees where 
God is and what God is doing and that God is just in all of his dealings and therefore when God's wrath falls upon him, it's something that he is deserving of. There, there's something about that too where you're like sometimes I do think you want to have eyes to see that in your life. Like you want to be able to see that. God, let me see that so that I can understand like, hey, you're just and you're, you're right and I want to understand that rightly because if I can see that, then I can also think about other things about God and how he works in the world. He goes on, and, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. This kind of reminds you of Jonah chapter 2. If you've ever like uh, studied Jonah, it's like Jonah is um the waves come over him he's been going down 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 and now he's down into the sea and the waves are crashing over him and he is just about to like he's he's going down the depths i mean he is about to die it this is very clearly something that kind of makes you think about that when you think about the waves crushing down throughout the bible it generally is like they are coming down and they're heaping over him god's waves are pounding him at to the breaking point He's under the pressure of the wrath of God. Verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. So it's, he, it's, he has no help. He has no one to reach out to. He's without any hope in this world. There, there's nothing to grip. Like he's reaching up, there's nothing there. He's under this intense pressure. Does this remind you of anything? I mean, if you're reading your Bible and thinking, <clears throat> does it remind you of anything? Jesus on the cross experienced the full weight of God's wrath. Everybody forsook him. Everybody fled. In Mark 10.38, it speaks of, like, uh, he, he experiences a baptism of the wrath of God, meaning like he is plunged under the weight of, of God's wrath. You want me to follow? Yeah, you're good. Okay, cool. All right, so here's the thing. He's under the, the wrath of God, under the weight of sin, and that's what you see here. The experience of this author he's describing here really is fulfilled in Jesus, and I think that's important to say. He understands like this, this heaviness on him, but he's not enduring the eternal wrath of God. He's not even capable of doing so. But he understands that. And so we know Jesus was forsaken and alone. We know that he was, um, uh, the Father turned his face away from him. We know all those things. And this is a reminder here of what he endured for us. And so I think as a Christian, you can say, I understand the weight on my own life, but then I can also look to Jesus and see him. Or if you're not a Christian today and you're not trusting in him, you're saying like, look, is there somebody that ever endured this for me or is this my future? Is this all I'm hoping in? So hopefully we'll see that as you go forward, you'll consider that and understand that Jesus endured the the wrath of God on behalf of his people so that although we may feel that we've been abandoned and left, we have not been. And so I think that's helpful for us to see. Now look at verse, um, as you're looking at verse 9 and 10, There's like a turning point here. And he's saying, look, if you kill me, God, he argues a little bit. Some of the questions would be like, are you really supposed to say that to God? Are those, but here's the thing, God put it in the Bible. He didn't want you to um, not see the weight of some of these things, like the struggle that man has. And so God wants you to see this, 
But you see this arguing that goes forward. He says, my eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. He, so he begins to ask these questions as he's moving forward. And he, he's helping us see some things that might help you as you're going through or me as I'm going through uh, the troubles of this life. It, it shows you kind of how to live and what motives you should have. You know, trying to drive you back to God and to seek his face. He says in verse 13, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. It's almost like there's this kind of thing of like, I think I'm going to see a day. There's darkness, but I think I'll see light. Oh Lord, why do you cast down my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? So in the midst of this, he's, he's calling out for God's compassion because he's saying like, Lord, you can't look away from me forever. Can't you? I mean, I understand I'm under your wrath, but can't you turn your face and shine it on me? Can't you turn the light of your presence back to me? Like, I mean, won't you do that? He wants God's sympathy over him. He wants him to remember him. Don't hide your face. He knows of God's love. He knows what it's like to experience that. He's saying, Lord, turn back towards me. Verse 15 and 16. He goes back to that situation. He says, afflicted and close to death from my youth, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. You can see the imagery here. and it, The idea is like, when, since I was young, I've known this since I was young. I've experienced this when I was young and all the way up. Some people do. You think about some people's situations in life. They might not only, they may only know war. Like if you're a kid here today and you're like, I don't know what that's like. I live in a safe and peaceful place at some level. I'm not under like all this trouble. There are some children in the world that know only war. They've only watched that in their whole growing up from the, you know, maybe they've been five years in a war in their country and they've seen trouble after trouble after trouble. Like if you were a kid in World War II or like that kid I mentioned at the first of the, this um, passage, it's understanding that and grasping that he's known this thing and it's, it's taken a long period of time. He's experienced it over a very long period of time. Verse 15 and 16 goes on to just help you understand it feels like assaults it almost feels like an enemy army coming after him as God's wrath falling on him and he feels the weight of that verse 17 they surround me like a flood all day long they close in on me together you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me my companions have become darkness so it's like all my friends, my beloved, maybe that is his spouse or whoever, like everybody's left. They're all alone there. All alone with themselves. He's all alone with himself, with his mind, all day long, enduring all of this difficulty by himself. He has no hope in this moment. He's struggling in every way. He is enduring God's wrath, and he thinks, I'm going to be crushed forever from this. That's kind of what you see. Now, what is he saying, though? Like, he's telling us that, you know, like, Lord, don't you, don't you want me to be able to speak to others? Don't you want me to be able to share with others that, that of what you have done, of all the wonders that you have done, all the great things that you have done? So I want you to look back at verse 10 real quick and just see something with me. In verse 10 it says, Do you work wonders for the dead? 
And he goes on, do, you, do the departed rise up to praise you? Verse 11, is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon, which is the place where the dead are destroyed, is kind of the idea here? What's he saying? He is saying in this deal, like, all of this darkness going on, but God, don't you know, if you just, if you save me from this, don't you know I'm going to tell other people? Don't you know I'm going to speak to them about the wonders of your salvation? Don't you know I'm going to be a voice that's out, speaking out into the darkness and saying like, there's hope of the light of the glorious gospel? Don't you, be, don't you know that? Don't you understand? That's, that's what I'm going to do, God. Don't you want to raise me up so that I can declare the wonders of your salvation and the work that you have done? He is arguing there for like, God, don't you want to display your glory? Don't you want people to understand your steadfast love? God, please... Draw me up so I can do that. I, I mean, doesn't that make sense for you to do that? You know, C.S. Lewis, in talking about pain, says this, I was never fool enough to suppose myself qualified, nor have anything to offer my reader except my conviction that when pain is to be born, a little courage helps me more than much knowledge. He says kind of this, there's a break here. And when you're thinking about courage, he's saying like when you're really thinking about others, when you're wanting good for others, even for God in this, this passage, when you're wanting good for others, like there's something that's really helpful to under, just to have a little bit of courage would be helpful. But he goes on to say, um, he, he says this, this courage would be helpful and a little human sympathy is more than, than much courage. And then he says the least tincture is the way it's said or it's the word is something I wouldn't use it's almost like dropping uh, a little bit of food coloring into water and it fills the whole thing he says uh, of the love of God more than all and so this guy is saying like Lord you know everybody's gone from me your face is turned away from me but if you if, if just in this moment like I, you could turn back towards me restore the, the relationships of those people and then let me declare your praise Will that not be awesome to get to do that? That's kind of what he is calling on God to do. And he says in verse 12, Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? That's kind of the picture. In all of this, God, don't you know that I want you to, I want you to be known? That, that's a way in which suffering is used by God. Some of you may say, I have some really bad dark nights I've had dark nights I've had dark nights I've had moments where I was like I never dreamed I would face this or that and yet what you want to say to yourself in the midst of that is Lord like bring me up from the grave so I can declare your wonders and your praise and I think that's a helpful thing a tremendously helpful thing to see this psalm is not only helping us understand how to grow through great difficulty, but it is really pointing you towards the one who experienced the greatest darkness. So if you're not a Christian here today, let's say you're a kid, you've kind of been in church a little bit, not really paying attention. Maybe you're an adult, you've been around Christianity, you're like, oh, this is great, and it's all been like roses and everything's easy. Your life's been like moving down this trajectory that you've dreamed of your whole life, and you never really faced a lot of darkness. And so you're like, wait, I've never heard of a Christianity like that. Well, here's the deal about the Savior of Christianity. 
the, the Savior of the world, but like what the Christian story unveils for us that is truly true. This is what it tells us. That all of this darkness, all of this suffering, this for, being forsaken, this enduring wrath, this curse that is on humanity, the darkness that you might face, has nothing to compare to the darkness that Jesus faced. He endured the darkness for us. He endured the, the um, being alienated for us. He endured the wrath of God for us so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be restored, so that we could be made new. Jesus actually got the darkness that we deserved. He was truly abandoned so that even though we feel abandoned, we're truly not. That, that's just a reality. You, want, you need to write that into your like notes and say, even though I feel abandoned, even though I feel left, even though I feel the darkness, even though I know it like, uh, like you don't know it, Jared, e even though I've seen things that you've never seen, even though there's things maybe I've never even talked about that I've seen, there are more things I've experienced that are more dark than you could ever imagine. Whatever those things are, you say, listen, you may have felt that darkness and you may have known it and it may haunt you, but the reality is Jesus embraced that darkness to its full so that you and I would not experience ultimate darkness so that we would not experience the eternal wrath of God so that we would not experience being alienated forever whenever you tell yourself like I am in darkness I'm left I have nothing in this world and no one there you tell yourself the truth Jesus already dealt with that the darkness what some people would say of Psalm 88 is like the garden of Gethsemane and then in Psalm 89, it's like the crucifixion. But the Friday of the crucifixion, you know, when you think about that, is followed by the Sunday of the resurrection. And so he not only faced the darkness, he was victorious over it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus didn't just face the darkness and then was defeated. But he faced the darkness and he overcame it so that we could experience darkness by our union with Christ, but come out on the other side, resurrected through our union with Christ, so that the darkness will not overcome. And even though it is deep and it is difficult and it is dark some days in this world, we have hope in a Savior that will rescue us, eternally rescue us. And we praise Him for it. In Christ's name, amen.